Hello, my friend. Jeff C. here with a great new resource that I put together just for you. It's a complete database of all the tools that I use to create content and run my business. I've got apps, software, hardware, and even my favorite AI tools. It's easy to find what you need and tells you exactly how I'm using them in my business. To get access to my toolbox, just go to jeffc.com forward slash toolbox. That's J-E-F-F. S is in Sam, I-E-H. That's I before E, especially in C. That's how my mama had me learn it. So go check it out. And if you haven't heard me say it in a while, I appreciate you listening, my friend. And now, on with the episode. Keeping you up to date on the world of social media. Industry experts. Innovators. Creators. Storytellers. And the latest social media tools, tips, and tactics. This is Social Media News Live. Oh, folks, welcome to Social Media News Live. I'm Jeff C., and you're not. And I'm Connor Brown, and this is the show that keeps you up to date on what's happening in the world of social media and more. Have you ever wondered what it takes to deliver top-notch social media customer service? Are you curious about the strategies that make a brand's online presence truly conversational? Or maybe maybe you're on the hunt for ways to elevate your brand's social care game. If these thoughts have crossed your mind, you're in for a treat today. We are excited to welcome back a guest who embodies the essence of meaningful online conversation, Brooke B. Sellis, the visionary behind B Squared Media and the author of Conversations That Connect, will unravel her journey her expertise, and her rules for fostering genuine online interaction. So sit back, clear your schedule, clear your mind, and get ready for this week's episode of Social Media News Live. Brooke, how are you doing today? I am doing well now that I'm with you. We were trying to figure out, have I known you since 2012? I really think that's what it, Gosh, or 2013 so. maybe, at the yeah, latest. I think so. Like, like you neons and, and social media. Yes. Yeah. That was kind of the whole little Google. Here we go. Chris Stone, uh, uh, Google Plus gang. Uh, yes. He always, he always makes fun of me that uh, I say Google Plus at least once during the show, and it's a drinking game. So, uh, And he is ready to get nerdy. Oh, my gosh. Look at my, my uh, everything got bigger with this new oh. ECAM update. So we're going to put this down just like that. There we go. Get oh, nerdy. in real time. Look how fancy you are. I know. It's just, it's pretty cool. So we've got our friends here. Uh, Jim Pugh saying, good morning, Jeff, Brooke, and Connor. He even spelled your name right. That's pretty amazing. So I love it. Thank you for that extra E that's silent, but belongs <laughs> Connor there. got his, I've always spelled Connor's yep. name wrong. So yeah. you got his right. You got Gary Stockton in the house watching over from YouTube. Thank you, Gary, for stopping in today. And you're right, uh, Chris Overman, here comes Google Plus. That's right. Uh, and he goes, clink, there we go. And our other friend, Brooke, uh, D- uh, Google Fr- Plus friend, Dustin yes. Stout. Hi, All friend. of us are in the house today. We just need Mike Alton to be here and we'd have a full oh, show. Man, so Mike? Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I'll mention him. He'll, co- he'll come in. So okay. if you guys missed the first episode when we talked about Brooke's book, uh, that she released what last year. You guys can actually go get it if you go to jeffc.live. We're broadcasting right now on Amazon Live. Her book is the first thing in the carousel down below. You can get that book. It is amazing. She actually sent me a pre, you know, copy of it, but I bought it anyway because I love to take notes on Kindle and I had to have it because it's such a good book. So uh, conversions, that, uh, conversations that connect. Get it down below if you're watching on Amazon. But uh, let me give you an introduction if you you missed that first show with Brooke. Uh, she is the CEO and founder of B Squared Media, an award-winning digital marketing agency focusing on social media management, advertising, and social media customer care. Her, mon- her marketing mantra is think conversation, not campaign. And she believes it so much that she wrote that book on it called Conversations That Connect. She's also the host of the Marketing Agency Show by Social Media Examiner, a great show. And she teaches two digital marketing courses at the University of California in Irvine. So, Brooke, man, you're doing a lot of stuff. This is incredible. I don't You've sleep. Time for us. Yeah. Gosh, don't tell I'm, anyone, but this is the AI of me. I'm actually in some sort of like it's liquid really tube good. somewhere. It's really good. Yeah, everything. all my AI is behind my beard, so uh, that's all you need to know there. Um, so I wanted, before we get started into the questions, because we got a ton of them. So you guys, social care, we're talking about that today. Ask your questions in the comments. But I want to do a big shout out to our friends over at Ecamm. They're the ones who sponsor, sponsor the show. You can find out more about them at socialmedianewslive.com forward slash Ecamm. They just released like version 4.1. Is that what it was? Uh, yeah. yeah. So, and they, 
totally have all this really cool new overlay stuff you can do. I haven't even dove in to all the cool things that we're going to be able to do on this show. But if you haven't tried out Ecamm, you need to try it out. You can find out more about at socialmedianewslive.com forward slash Ecamm. All right. State of social care in 2023. Now, this is a lot has gone on in this year. <laughs> so um, things that we weren't even thinking about. But um, mm-hmm. what major shifts have you observed in social media customer service over this past year? I think the obvious one, right? Let's just say it and get it over with, which is AI, artificial intelligence, yeah. and more specifically, generative AI. Um, so, woo, yeah, we said it. Okay. Um, and then <laughs> the next thing that I would say is that people are moving towards social at a very rapid pace as a support channel. Um, so I think that was a lot of what we focused on last year in our report, but that's mm-hmm. still happening. And I think the surprising part still for a lot of brands is that s- people are moving towards social media channels to do their research and their shopping now. So um, if you look at some of the stats we had in last year's report, it said that brand conversation, meaning on social media when the brand responds to someone's question or they're having you know banter back and forth with their community or audience, is now weighted just as high or higher than online reviews. So I think that's a really stark, surprising stat because there aren't very many brands that are doing a lot of brand conversation during the, the, let's call it the customer life cycle or the digital customer life cycle, right? So if you think about the book that I wrote, it still is holding true today and even maybe more so true because if you put conversations, those brand conversations in the middle of your flywheel, right? All the way through attracting clients, helping them through the decision phase, getting them to buy your product, getting them to buy again, helping, helping them become loyal, and then maybe even building like community or advocates or influencers. That brand conversation is driving that flywheel and driving both acquisition and retention for growth. Hmm. Wow. So just a follow-up question really quick, Connor. Sorry. Um, are people still, I mean, is social, when they're angry, is that the first place that they go? Because it seems to me, mm-hmm. like, so here's an example. We go to AMC to watch a movie. We get there early. Mm-hmm. It was a, we're old, so we go to the early shows. And we don't want to pay a lot of money. And uh, nobody was there. Like, the employees were locked out. The manager didn't show up for the first, like, whole thing. And I'm like, What? And we were locked out. Like they showed up when we missed our movie and they gave us, anyway, they tried to give us some stuff and it was just a big mess. And I'm like, the first thing I did is I went AMC and I went to like, I wanted to see mm-hmm. really kind of an example, like mm-hmm. who would respond quicker. So I went to Twitter or X and I went to um, Facebook and then I think I even messaged him on LinkedIn. I wanted to see who would respond. And it was actually Facebook that came back the fastest. Um, nice. Is that what people normally do? Like, is it like yeah. as soon as something happens, I know airlines and all that stuff, is that what you're seeing mm-hmm. as well? Yeah. And the reason being is, you know, so for, for an example, we work with a lot of middle market enterprise size brands. A lot of them are like the um, direct to consumer space, right? So when you have a problem, what do you do? Typically they do go to social first, depending on their age group, right? right. But the reason why more and more people are going to social to complain, even outside of the younger age groups is because they want for everybody to see. It's almost like saying like, hey, Jeff, I want you to know that AMC is not the place to go (laughs) if you actually want to be able to walk into the theater and see your movie, which is a big deal, right? So I think we're seeing a lot more of that, but I also think that we, there's a mismatch, right? So like, I'll give you an example here with like our clients. Some of our clients have us uh, respond within 10 minutes or less, which is amazing, right? That's an amazing response time. But if we have to triage someone, if we have to escalate someone to the internal team, let's say to, to schedule a service for their thing, mm-hmm. um, it's taking sometimes two weeks for them to get back. Wow. Well, what happens when they don't hear from someone you know, in two weeks, they come back to social and it's what we call a re-escalation. And re-escalations ruin business, right? This is how you lose your customers. This is how they churn. And this is why they go to your competitors. So it's a fine balance of matching like internal customer support with your external customer care, right? Or support through social. It can't be mismatched. You can't be hella fast on social and then okay. take 
two weeks to respond to somebody from an internal team or it just won't work. Jay Bear actually put out a report in a tiny book <laughs> called Time to Win. And he has reported on some of the same stuff that we were saying in last year's state of uh, social care report, which is re-escalations ruin business. It costs you a lot of money if you're not quick, right? both externally and internally, and usually for the acquisition questions. So when I go to Jeff's show and I say, hey, Jeff, how much is Ecamm? I'm probably also going to a competitor of Ecamm and asking a similar question. The first person to answer is more than likely to gain my business. It doesn't matter about pricing or features. It's really the first person to come and take care of me. Mm, That's super important. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, I think it's so unique now with with the rise of AI and and chatbots and kind of less personalization in response time. Um, I think that's an interesting thing that's happening in customer service. And there was a a thread I saw the other day and the caption was, we can do better. And it was basically a bunch of screenshots of all these different brands that were saying the exact same thing. And they're playing on that Roman empire trend asking, Mm -hmm think of the Roman Empire. And it was like Dunkin' Donuts says the Roman Empire would love Dunkin'. Delta Airlines, the Roman Empire would fly on uh, Delta Airlines. It was all exactly the same thing, just with the brand plugged in. Mm-hmm. So in that instance, it might not be a chatbot. It might not be AI. It might be an actual human being writing it, but it seems so less personal, right? It seems yeah. so less creative. And I think that that's something unique that's kind of changing the game and stuff. But then there's these other platforms like TikTok and Instagram that seem to really be changing how customers interact with them when we compare it to legacy things like an email or Facebook or or what have you. So, Brooke, how do you see platforms like TikTok and Instagram changing the way that brands interact with, with their own customers? What's interesting is that so far the traditional channels lead the way as support channels. So mm-hmm. Facebook, a yeah. lot of people would rather go to their Facebook page to contact a brand for support than they would email or phone. Same thing with Twitter, right? So traditional channels. But I think that that's going to change because A, of the way the, the platforms themselves are changing, but B, it's going to depend on how the internal teams, how the brand essentially or the company can make that cyclical omni-channel presence work. So it, you know, how does it work inside of your ecosystem at your company? And I think the biggest thing we need to understand about omni-channel is if I go to uh, email you about my problem, AMC, talking to you again, if I go to (laughs) AMC and I email them about my problem, I expect them to say, oh my gosh, Brooke, hi, you're one of our VIPs. You have the AMC rewards card, whatever, Uh right? But if I go to them on TikTok or Instagram or any of the social channels, I expect them to know the same thing. And Mm, that's a big disconnect that's happening right now, right? So companies are going to have to find a way to create that omni-channel experience with the platforms of choice. And I say platforms of choice, meaning the customer's channel of choice. So my first advice there would be audit your social channels, find out which channels have the most acquisition and retention conversation happening, and then use that one or two or however many it is platforms to kind of create that omni channel experience and then you can decide okay well we only get you know a question every other month on linkedin do we really need to put our time and money and effort into linkedin maybe not maybe we just keep it with tiktok and instagram right now because that's where the most of the conversation is happening and then the other thing besides omni channel that we need to look at is just like you said, we call it micro personalization. So it's literally personalizing things on a one-to-one basis. So Connor, if I'm talking to you and I'm the social care agent for X brand and you have a problem that our standard, you know, rules say, oh, sorry, too bad, so sad, we can't give you a refund. That's not going to work in the future. What I'm going to have to do is be like, Hey, listen, Connor just lost his job. He just got laid off. Uh, his what? his dog just died. Whatever happened, what what exceptions to the rule can we make for Connor? That's mm. micro personalization. Uh, and so that and that will. And did your dog just die? By the way, <laughs> my no, dog. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> that's a sore spot for Connor. I swear oh, to I'm sorry. To that point, an incredible thing in that micro personalization is Chewy. Anytime. Yes. 
subscription mm. box for for pet food and pet supplies and stuff and anytime they get an email that says hey i'm i'm so sorry i have to cancel my subscription my pet passed away chewy sends them a care package with yeah. we're so sorry for your loss sometimes they do like a picture of the pet if they find it on social media that's incredible to me i think it's awesome yeah. That's in the book. So one of our I team members, so. Christy, is a Chewy customer. And, you know, I forget how long she had been with Chewy when they did this, but they sent her a custom painted by an artist yeah. uh, picture of her cat as like a gift for saying thanks for being with us for so long or thanks for being a loyal chewy customer and i'm like how'd they even get pictures of your cat and she's like well i have her all over instagram so i guess they just went yeah. over there and they found a picture and then they had the artist paint from that i mean that is micro personalization yeah that's that is amazing uh yeah so chris stone says uh micro personalization is so key and that uh, creates customers and trust for life you know and so mm -hmm. but you know, um, even people on social can do this. So here's an example. Eileen Smith, who's been around forever. A lot of you guys may know her. Uh, she was back in the Google Plus days. Clink again <laughs> for Chris. But one time I had a question and I put it out on social and I said, you know, I needed to do something. Eileen sent me a video and just said, hey, yeah. Jeff. And this is before I really even kind of knew her. She goes, hey, Jeff, I saw you had this question. Here's what I did to make this work. And da 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 da. I still remember that to this day. Mm -hmm. And if Eileen ever asked me for anything, and she's she's also in some of the Amazon influencer stuff that I'm a part of, uh, I will answer her because I mean, we have, I still remember she went above and beyond. And I love it, these stories of like Chewy and some of the other ones who have done that and that you remember. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, and think about that too from a sales perspective. I, I am in a marketing mastermind and one of the people in my group started using personalized video along with the proposal. And yeah. they're getting a much higher close rate because this person's on video talking directly to the camera, which is the customer and saying, right. hey, we heard what you said on the discovery call. We're going to fix it by doing this. And you have my personal guarantee that we can make this work or whatever the conversation right. looks like. But think about that from even just a sales perspective, how micro personalization can help you gain more of those conversions. Yeah. I think also the other thing that people can do, even if you're slowly starting to grow a team, is being able to say like, listen, if you don't, you know, because a lot of times you do have to pass them off to somebody else. Yeah. But being yeah. able to say like, listen, if your question doesn't get answered, come back to me and here's my, my phone. That I think is huge too. And it's not yes. that hard to do. I mean, there's not a lot of extra cost or training or whatever you have to do, Zero. but having that advocate on the inside that it feels like you have is a huge thing that, that I think companies can do. Yeah, that's what a lot of what our team does. You know, they'll say something like, hey, if you have any other questions, my shifts are these days, these times, come back and talk to me, right? Because then again, even though it's, you know, it's a community manager who right. actually works for B Squared, who's working for this client, they don't know that, right? All they know is that Brooke said, hey, if you need any more help, here's when I work. My team can help you too, but if you want to talk to me, because we had an extensive, you know, conversation about your problem, come back during these days or these times and we can talk again. That feels personal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, that, that, and so you even do that on your, because I reshare a lot of the posts that we have done in the past you know this kind of on a queue and uh all the time your team comes in and goes hey you know this says something nice i just said thank you but hey we really appreciate you sharing this or da, da. and so i can see that they're very on top of everything that comes through and i just i just wanted to give Thanks. them a big shout out because they do Thanks. a great job well um, i want to mention that too real quick like yeah. a lot of the clients who we start working with in the very beginning they're not even handling the good stuff they're so busy mm. working on the negative or worrying about the negative. They're not, not even like liking or commenting to the good stuff. And I'm like, you're leaving potential sales on the table. You're, le you're leaving potential user generated content on the table. You're using p potential reviews on the table, right? So you have to respond to both the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. Um, and on this social, this social report that you, uh, the, the state of uh, customer care um, by the way, let me pull this up because if you guys want to get an advanced copy, I had an advanced copy, so I'm, that's what we're talking about today. But <laughs> she's doing a survey and she's releasing this social report. So if you want to get a, a pre-copy of this, go fill out the survey at bit.ly forward slash state of social report 2023. Those have all dashes between them if you're listening to this. But go check that out because uh, it has a lot of great insights in it. And that's the, the question that I want to 
talk about. But once again, bit.ly forward slash state of social report 2023. Those have all dashes in between them. So um, the question that I have is, and you mentioned this in that report, was the role of influencers. So mm-hmm. what are the ro- role of influencers now? Because, um, you know, I know you've had influencer gigs. Connor's had them too. And it's not so much anymore of like, hey, here's a product. I really like it. But you're also like, here's a product. This is how you use it. Here's yeah. my workflow on how to do it. And here's, if you have issues, what you can do to kind of diagnose that problem. So mm-hmm. influencer now are not just giving like a review or like, hey, I'm famous by my stuff. It's like, they're really, they're going in levels deeper. So can you talk about that in kind of the role of influencers in social care? Yeah, definitely. So I can remember Jeff back in our like Google Plus days. I said it again. Uh, um, that you know we were there was that cell. I think the site was called Clout with a K. Oh yeah. And like yeah. you would get yeah. sent stuff to like review on social, right? That was an influencer, right? We're gonna send mm-hmm. you some swag, and if you like it, go make some social content on it or tag us or whatever. Mm-hmm. Influencer marketing the whole game has changed now because they are the smart brands are now realizing that this micro personalization comes into play that the relationship is the most important thing between the brand and the customer so i actually have an example i don't think it was in your version jeff but from adobe adobe express hey. hires um, brand ambassadors goldie chan is a friend of mine and one of their brand ambassadors right. and she literally knows how to troubleshoot So if Uh, she puts out a piece of branded content for Adobe Express and somebody says, hey, I tried that, but I I was doing this, she right then and there as a part of her, you know, relationship with Adobe can respond. They even had her get on a live with a um, Adobe Express employee and together the two of them did a live stream that had almost 8,000 people watching, just showing them how to use the product in different ways. I mean, that is really where influencer marketing is going. Yeah, that is one that's really cool because, and I think it came from kind of the the YouTube, you know, cause you had like these big YouTubers showing how to use cameras mm-hmm. um, or something, you know, like like Chris Stone is a great example. He shows how to use a microphone or a, a cloud lifter, how it works over on, you know, Amazon or, or he's doing it on YouTube and then he repurposed that. But but now brands are reaching out to him because they know that his audience isn't just like, oh, he's just talking about the newest thing that they sent him. He's talking about because I use this and it works like he is a big proponent yeah. of a thing called a cloud lifter, which if you watch his channel, which makes your audio sound amazing. But he. Mm-hmm he's a believer in it. He's not just hawking it like the sham right. wow guy. He's, right. you know, it really works. So uh, I think what you're saying is true. And I think that's going to be more and more important. And the cool thing is I think more and more brands are waking up and going, oh yeah, we need these type of people, you know. Yes. And guess what? These people aren't like Kim K's that cost, you know, half right. a million dollars per post. Right. It's, it's real people. You know, people are tired of the stylized Kim K. I think all of that's going away. They're going to want to find the boots on the ground people who have a natural affinity for their product and then bring them on as an ambassador or an influencer who can also teach their customer base how to use or troubleshoot with that product. Yeah. And for example, Chris says uh, James Hicks does a great, James is a great guy. He does a great job of this as an influencer. He does interviews, the brands themselves. Uh, the, uh, to be honest, that's I, how I got Ecamm as a sponsor of the show is because, you know, I use their stuff. I loved it. I, I love the people. I love the community. And they sponsor this show. And the same way with a lot of people inside their community, the people who fell in love with Ecamm, big in the community, well, uh, they have elevated them up. Doc Rock, who's a huge person inside of Ecamm community, was just in their community, like doing stuff, became a community yeah. manager, and then Ecamm hired him. So it's really cool how these companies are realizing, okay, these guys know what they're talking about. These are our best, best, best ambassadors ever. <laughs> Let's get them on, you know, the show. So anyway, I just, yeah. I, I love brands that do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think it's like few and far between, but I think we're going to see a shift. I really do. I think people, you know, money's tighter. You have to get more strategic than ever. I think we're going to see this like shift start to start to, you know, take place at more brands. Yeah. I totally I think- agree. I think it's also so true just that with those types of influencers, we want to relate to the person too, because that's how we know the product's going to be so useful to us where a Kim K product might not really relate to, well, definitely probably doesn't relate to me or Jeff, I would say. Right. 
<laughs> I'm wearing her Spanx right now. <laughs> That's great. That's great. TMI. Um, but it's, it's, it's like that. Um, but there's also that element of the human touch, right? So mm-hmm. see all this AI coming into play and whether, you know, brands are using it to help with responses or to help generate content or, or whatever it is, it's, it's shifting the landscape. And we already talked about it a little bit, but Brooke, how do you see brands balancing these emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, chat GPT or, or something like that? How do they balance that with the human touch that has been so core to customer service since customer service has been invented? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I really just, that hasn't changed. I mean, the tools are getting better and better. And I think from a CX perspective, we used to say things like, oh, AI will never be able to, you know, help with with CX because of the human touch. I don't think that's true. I think AI is definitely going to be huge for customer experience across the board, you know, whether it's digital or on social or elsewhere. But I also think that you have to really know your audience inside and out. You have to understand those micro segments of people, right? We're not talking about big segments segments anymore because we're talking about that hyper or micro personalization and you have to understand where and when you know how it's always been the the right message at the right time to the right person in the right place that's what you have to do with ai too right it's the right ai at the right time in the right place with the right person so there are many uh, you know variables that go into using ai it's not just implementing ai for cx across the board Right. Mm -hmm. If you do that, you're probably going to end up in trouble because really the beauty and the magic happens at the intersection of AI and humans. Right. It makes Mm -hmm. us smarter. It makes us faster. It makes us more efficient. It makes us solve problems more easily. But if that person on the other side of the screen doesn't want to use AI, you've ruined the experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and this is an example, this is before AI, but I remember, and you probably remember this too, there was kind of a big influencer. Um, who was using like those Instagram bots that would just kind of go and auto thing before. And I, there was a big example and somebody, it, w- it went kind of viral. Some lady's cat died, you know, and, and underneath it, it said, Hey, we love your content. Subscribe to it. And it was just so out of, I mean, it's just horrible that this even happened. I have a feeling that that kind of stuff can happen with AI. Mm-hmm. If you're not careful, like you can't just, you know, what was it? Set it and forget it. That's not going to happen. You're going to have to go in there and tweak it, make sure it's working, only use it for general questions, maybe. I mean, that kind of stuff I think is going to be super important. Yeah, that's the other thing we've seen. You know, a lot of our clients, again, these are easy direct to consumer clients who have a ton of FAQs, right? Frequently asked questions right. that people come onto social to ask, and they still will not use a bot because they're, they, they are smart enough to know they don't have the real vision and the strategy behind that deployment. Okay, so they're, they're backing off. And an, an example I'll give you to follow up on your story, Jeff, even when we've had companies or we have clients who are in um, you know sectors with a lot of red tape, finance, insurance, right. healthcare. Um, so in the early days, one of our clients was very strict about what we could say. We had to get it approved by legal. And then they were just wanting us to copy and post that response to this type of question. And we were like, I don't know, copy and paste. <laughs> right. it, it might not go the way you think it's going to go. And of course it didn't. And that was humans using the yeah. same script over and over and over again. So to your point, I think if you have generative AI who's answering things the same way, the crowd called us out, the people, the community of this client called us out, the humans. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a chance for them to call out the bots too if it just seems very copy and paste. Right. Well, I want to go back because you also mentioned that this in your upcoming report is that, you know, when we talked about a little bit, the omni-channel customer services. So I want to talk about some best practices for that because there is that disconnect, especially if you're siloed and have different teams, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents just got a new dishwasher that they had to get a special one because it was a low counter and all this stuff. Well, it quit working after two weeks, like, and then they wanted to return it. And Home Depot said, "Oh, we don't. You're going to have to talk to the whatever." And they sent them to this, and then they had to get a customer care advocate, which was actually what it was called. And I was about ready to get lawyers involved until they finally, I mean, they sent somebody out to fix it. He said, I couldn't fix it. They said, give us our money back. They wouldn't do it. And so there was all this red tape that like, if my mom knew Twitter, oh my gosh, it would have blown up. Like it would have <laughs> melted it down. 
but she doesn't, thank goodness. Um, so there's this disconnect. So how can companies not do this? Because it mm-hmm. was a nightmare. If it was somebody else, it could have gone, mom's, my mom's a sweet lady and she would have never, she was like, maybe they're just busy. You know, I'm like, mom, no, they're just bad yeah. customer service. So how can, you know, what are some of these best practices that companies can start, maybe even change some of the culture of their customer service in the midst of this? Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head with the culture statement. Unfortunately, the answer is bigger. It's not an easy fix. Um, I think, you know, having that culture and that mindset of really putting the customer first, right? Going away from maybe rules and regulations to make that micro suggestion, micro change to the rules for Connor, who, you know, just got laid off and his, his dog passed away or whatever. Gosh, um, so I do think it's a mindset. The other piece of piece of it is finding tools that connect your social ecosystem with your CRM. Um, or this is where I think AI really will become really good at doing this. You know, a lot of, we have a huge MarTech stack in marketing, you know, none of the tools talk to each other. I think one of the things AI will do will make it easier to connect your CRM with your, your social ecosystem or your dashboard there, because then you'll be able to see, oh my gosh, it's Jeff. He's been a client of ours for 25 years. We better not mess this one up, right? The social team can't be disconnected from your customer, community, advocate, influencer ecosystem, right? Both of those ecosystems need to come together. They can't live in silos. And the same goes with sales, right? Because as you know from the book, Jeff, a lot of what I said was that uh, a lot of these big brands didn't even realize how much of their social chatter was acquisition, not just retention, but people coming through and saying, hey, I want to buy your stuff. Tell me about it. And they weren't answering them. So they're literally leaving money on the table. So one of the things that we developed is a a social selling program through tagging and all this cool stuff that we do with our clients so that we, the social care team, the social front line is now bringing revenue in-house for these clients by answering those questions with a lot of value, but also quickly. Like Mm. we were saying, you know, response times have just gotten faster and faster. Yeah. And that leads us kind of to our next section where you, you brought up some things as well that I wanted to talk about is this, the customer expectations. Like mm. they they have changed since, I mean, even in a year and, you know, with this AI stuff, I, to be honest, I think this AI is going to be just like we have spell correct in most yep. all of our apps now. AI is going to be, they're already starting to be built into everything. So yeah. I just think it's coming. But um, Connor, I know you had a question about this. Yeah. You know, I think especially over time, because our, our ability to get knowledge and get information has accelerated so quickly with internet and with social media. We know our attention spans have gone down. And I think that is directly correlated with, you know, our, our response times. We want immediate, instant gratification. Um, so, Brooke, I'm, you know, at my wits end. I've lost my job. I, I my dog. Fido's dead. He's he's dead. Uh, I walk outside. I had just gotten a new tire replaced, uh, and it's flat already. I'm at my boiling point. I'm going right to social media. I'm sure I want an answer, and I want it quickly. So, how have you seen response time expectations change on social media when it comes to customer service? Yeah, I have a whole section in the report that talks about um, the generations, the platforms they prefer, the right. response times you know that they prefer. But I mean, generally, like again, we're generalizing here, but based on all of the data that's out there, most people in America, when reaching out to a brand on social media, expect a response within one hour. Yeah. Part of that segment in that group wants it in less than 30 minutes. So I think what we'll see is more um, chatbots for times when people can't be available. Um, but again, remember when when I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, um, uh, complex situations, like if you need to find out if your doctor's a network, if you need mm. to, you're locked out of your bank account, you know, things that a, an, a bot cannot solve, you jam something in your, pr- you know, printer and you got this weird okay. arrow code. I mean, maybe AI could solve that one, but you know, it, it, I think there are just always going to be things that are way too challenging to get AI to do. And then there's also going to be that subset of people who just wants to speak with a human, right? Because 
I don't think yelling at AI is going to be satisfying right. enough for some people. So yeah. there's that. Yeah. So, oh, and, and by the way, Chris says he's really sorry about your job and your dog, Connor. Oh, uh, so, thank uh, you. He's, you know, we'll thank set you. up a GoFundMe page for Connor in a little bit. Um, it's uh, I'm over here. I do have a, I do have a point to that. Yeah. yeah. In one of the things that, that I do, uh, work related, this is on the side. Um, I am a travel agent and I am the director of agent development at a travel agency, which means I train new travel agents. I get them up to speed. I help them with marketing and all, all that stuff. And we have very clear expectations when a client emails them a question or, or with a vacation quote or whatever, they have to respond within 24 hours. And with those new quotes, it's actually got to be much less time. Mm -hmm. And I think what's so interesting is a response doesn't have to solve the problem initially. Sometimes people just want to be heard, right? So we always yeah. say, if it's a really complex thing, you don't need to have the answer within that time frame. You can simply say, hey, I've received your email. I'm looking into it and then give them expectations of when they can hear a response. And nine out of 10 times, that's exactly what people want to hear upfront. They just want to know that you got it, you're looking into it. That yeah. is a thousand percent true. And you know, that's also true when there's a crisis, right? Yeah. The biggest thing your customer wants in a crisis is communication. And if you think you're over communicating, you're probably just not communicating enough. So I, I completely agree with that. And the other point that I would make is, is Jeff, you'll remember this from the book, but in the book, and this was before generative AI, right? right. I said, people aren't starved for content. They're starved for connection. So time after time after time again, we see more and more companies pumping money into content, right? Content marketing. With AI, AI can write that better than you, faster than you, right. pump out more articles than you. So I think it's more true now, even than it was a year ago when the book published. People are not starved for content. They're starved for connection. So how can you use AI to help you with the content piece? But then take those hours and invest them into the mm. connection, the relationship, the personalization. Yeah, I, I think that, man, that's a tweetable right there. So, Abby, if you're watching this, that's going to be the, the cut we're going to use. Um, so the the question I have is what Connor's point was, because I was when he was talking about these the travel agents, which um, I was just like, man, that that because people let's say your flight is canceled and it's an early international flight. You know, you may, Connor may not even be up yet, right? So how, how do you handle this expectation of always on customer care? Because like Connor has to sleep sometime. I mean, he's been up all night crying about his dog. He's oh, got to get his, his shut eye in to help with his grief process. How, how does this, how can you do this? Like, cause I'm thinking like small businesses, like they can't hire all this stuff. I mean, it seems like it's an insurmountable goal to always be on. Yeah. Well, I think part one of this answer lies in everything we've been talking about. People automatically assume that customer experience is rolling out the red carpet and just going above and beyond for every single customer. And I'm sorry, but you know, that's not scalable. It's not possible. Right. The goal of CX is not to roll out the red carpet for every customer. It's just to make the friction points easier. So if it took five clicks to get somewhere, how can we get it down to two? And if it took two clicks, how can we get it to one? Right? So it's just really making that path to purchase easier and easier. Part of that is using bots. If you know what your frequently asked questions are, you know you've already done the channel audit, you know where you get a lot of those support frequently asked questions, you know which channels have it, then you can use AI to answer those frequently asked questions 24-7, 100% of the time, and make it fun. Say something like, sorry, our human agents are sleeping right now because you know those ding-ding humans still have to get sleep <laughs> and eat, right. you know, yeah. but we're here to help you you know, what kind of questions do you have? And if you also in that menu of options have a, a human option, I really need to speak to a human. And we'll be like, okay, we'll go wake Connor up as best we can, but normally he gets into the office around nine and we'll try yeah. to get back to you by noon or whatever it is, right? Like just set those expectations, but make it fun. Make it to where it doesn't have to be a chore to talk to the AI if you have a complex problem and if you have a, an easy FAQ, like what are your hours? You can set up that workflow for the bot to say our hours are Monday through Friday, nine to five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that. I, the, the question I think too, like I'm thinking, 
of my friends who have small businesses. And so I'm trying to get, once again, free consulting from Brooke. But like, so, uh, you know, Chris Stone, he has a, a kind of a, an agency that he's growing where he's actually doing remote producing for clients. Like he's got these influencers and these great big speakers and, you know, authors and all this stuff. And he is remote producing for them. So he's training virtual assistants to, you know, help him with this stuff. And there's going to be customer service that happens with that. Like, hey, my internet went down. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, um, I, my, this guy's sick and you need to cover over here. All these little pieces that, you know, small businesses have to deal with. So what, I guess I'm asking, what should we scale first? Like what, how can we personalize and scale this customer service if, you know, if we're starting our business and we're starting to scale it? Because you mentioned, you know, you work for some huge companies, you run their, their customer service, but some of us are just like, we're in that growth process and we want to do all these things you're saying, what should we do first and how do we get started? I think first it's internal, it has to be. You have to have the buy-in from the top down internally and decide what that program is going to look like. And that doesn't mean that iterations won't happen, Um, but know what your goals are. You know what you're trying to uh, achieve business-wise with these goals. So maybe the the outcome or the business goal is that you want to be faster at responding so that you can close more deals or get support done faster. Great. Build your program around that goal and then figure out how to slot in who you have or what you have and use tools or AI for the rest. So automation or, um, you know, they're really great, like little chatbot tools. A lot of them these days are even built right into like some of the social media dashboards. So you could go set up again, that bot that's going to answer those FAQs when your team's not there or help your team out internally and then put it out. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, the companies never want to look at the, at the positive. They only want to look at the negative, but look at that feedback that you're getting. If wherever you have that negative influx, maybe it's about the bot that you deployed, dig in, find out what that is, and then iterate based on that feedback. And if you can iterate along with what the customer is telling you, A, they feel listened to, B, that makes them feel important. And then C, when you actually listen, make them feel important and fix their problem, they're going to stick with you. That is great advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think there were there were two points that we kind of already brought up recently that delve into the emotions and the emotions of a response. One was the lady's uh, cat who passed away, who I can now relate to because of my dog, um, and and the response of just "Hey, this is great content, right?" Obviously, mm-hmm. that's a bot. It didn't it didn't perform well. It's not doing its job correctly, or what have you. Um, but the the I forgot the other one already of the emotional component that we were talking about. But we know it's super important. Oh, with with the finance stuff, like we want mm-hmm. to this be the response for every single thing. It might be the correct response, but it might not be the right response in this emotional sphere that we're working with. So, Brooke, emotional intelligence. How important is it? for social media customer service teams to incorporate emotional intelligence to each and every response that they send out. It's big. It's big. But I'm going to blow your mind just for a second here and tell you that based on some research, if you give an apology, if you're overly empathetic in a situation where you don't have a solution, don't do it. Because what it does is it actually makes the customer more mad. If you're like, I'm so sorry, Jeff, that the AMC was closed and you couldn't watch your movie, even though it was our operating hours. Too bad. So sad. I wish we could help you. But we're really sorry that happened. (laughs) Right. Like you I wanted can, free ticket. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, absolutely not. I'm not. No, you're not sorry because you're not fixing it. Right. Yeah. So I think you have to be careful about the way you apologize how you apologize, how you use empathy, and it should tie into the solution. And if you don't have a solution, like we were saying, be like, Jeff, oh my gosh, I don't know why this happened. I don't know how this happened. I apologize. We will find out and I will get back to you as soon as I'm able to talk to some people so that we can make sure this never happens for you again and show you how much we care about you as a customer. Yeah. Right. The the funny thing about that AMC story is that so we waited and we come back and like they said, the, a manager finally shows up. Like they had to get another manager. The other guy was sleeping or something. And they let us in and they said, hey, yeah, we're going to restart the movie. So you'll be fine. Get in there. It's halfway through. And, and I'm like, I, you, I asked you specifically, you're going to restart it. Oh, we can't. 
what you just said anyway it was a it was a nightmare so then i get there and i'm like hey and they're giving away okay here's your money back here's a free ticket and all this popcorn stuff that you get okay we're giving it all away great i think that's great for customer service i get there and they're like we can't charge it back to your card but here's a free ticket and then i'm walking out i'm like wait a minute everybody else got their money back and a free ticket you were just giving me a free ticket so then that's when i got online and did it was a mess anyway but you know the whole thing about emotional intelligence how do you train that like, how do you teach that manager? Because he was kind of a jerk. Like, he first he said mm-hmm. one thing and then he wasn't. Like, how do you how do you teach your team emotional intelligence? Like, if we're starting to hire to scale this as a business, what do you look for in somebody or how do you train them to do this? Like, just don't say these words or how do you do it? Um, I, I think, you know, again, an answer that people probably won't love, but I think you have to hire for this, not train for it. Because people yeah. inherently are able to be empathetic and not just sympathetic, right? So if we have sympathy for someone, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry you're going through that. When we have empathy, it's like, oh, I feel your pain too, right? So I don't think you can train for that. I think you have to hire for it. And some of the things that we look for when we're hiring for these community managers are people who are, you know, big volunteers. They volunteer for some sort of um, cause that they care about. They have had a past job in human resources or hospitality or customer service where they have had to kind of walk the fire. I mean, we walk the coals every day, right? Right, right. Um, And I also think though, that's one of the the big reasons why companies do want to outsource, you know, something like this to be squared because it does take a mental toll on your people when they have to be on the front line dealing with people who are just getting more and more angry and more and more out of control. So, you know, if you are looking to hire for it, I think empathy wise, you really have to look for traits of in people or past experience in people that shows that they're not just sympathetic, but that they can feel and have empathy too. Because if they feel the pain along with the customer, they want to get it solved so that that pain goes away from them, which is hard because then you're hiring people who feel the pain. But then we just talked about like mental and, you know, mental exhaustion and burnout and stuff. So I think you know, staffing is really important too, like dynamic staffing where you can staff up and down depending on what's happening with your company, your products, your brands, the sentiment of your audience. Because if you are a company who has a lot of negative sentiment or people who are unhappy, you need to rotate people. They don't need to be sitting on the front line, you know, getting, you know, verbally or readingly bashed (laughs) all day, right? So, you know, there's so many important factors that go into making sure you build a space for people who are empathetic, but also that you protect them because they're empathetic. Yeah, Mm, That's really cool. What you're saying about protecting your employees and your virtual assistants, whatever, I think that's a great thing. Uh, Our friend, uh, Chris Stone says, yeah, it's difficult to train consideration for others. So... Uh, yeah. yeah. And so um, somebody who's always considered is our friends over at Ecamm. Yeah, I did that. You can find out more yeah. about them at socialmedianewslive.com forward slash Ecamm. They never have hurt furry friends like Connor's. Uh, so, you know, it's they're, they're a great company. They have a great community, socialmedianewslive.com forward slash Ecamm. They were, are what makes this show possible. That's what we're being able to repurpose this show with. When we're done, I'm going to have amazing content from Brooke. Her cameras will be all separate. Her audio track, it's just amazing. I love Ecamm. I appreciate them for sponsoring the show. If you just join like halfway, like through this and like, what are they talking about this state of social care? Brooke has put together uh, this amazing report. I got a little sneak peek about it. Um, you're able to go to take the survey. And if you do this, you're, I think there's even a contest that you have going on that you could, uh, you know, maybe win some stuff, but it's also, you get free access to this when it, before, you know, everybody else gets it. So if you want to do that, go to bit.ly forward slash state of social report 2023, all hyphens in between that, bit.ly forward slash state of social report. Make sure you, 2023, make sure you guys go check that out because there's a a heck of a lot of stuff in this report that we won't even touch about today, but it's really, really good. How long does it take you to put this together, Brooke? Because it's it's really (laughs) intense. I've been working on it for months. Yeah. Months. By the time it comes out, you know, I'll probably have like, I mean, it really took the whole year when I guess when it comes down to it, because I've been, you know, I include our own research and client examples, but I also look at, you know, well-vetted research that's out there. And then I go through and I talk to people like Goldie, you know, who's an influencer for Adobe Express. I'm talking to somebody who does uh, data analytics and voice of customer 
data for Aldi, you know, so mm. I'm going out and I'm finding real world outside of the research and outside of what right. I'm saying. I'm like, here, you don't have to believe me because look, they're right. doing it too. <laughs> There's, it's, it was really interesting. And one of the things that I want to kind of cover in this last section is, and we've kind of talked about it before because, you know, AI just kind of just came out of nowhere, like all of a sudden. I mean, we've we've had bots and, you know, but this new AI stuff that you're able to do is just, you know, it, some of the things are blowing you know, uh, me away, the, the technology. Um, so what technologies or trends excite you the most when you think about the future of social care? Like that you're like, I can't wait to get my hands on this or I can't wait to this tool is going to be able to do this uh, for you and your team. Yeah. Well, gosh. Okay. I'll try to keep it to three. So first and foremost, what I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier in the show was I'm really excited for AI that's going to help our CRMs talk to our social ecosystems, right? So that we can understand really like, here's all of the notes mm -hmm. on this customer along with before we make that response on social, let's read all the notes about this customer. I think that's really exciting. Uh, one of the tools, uh, one of the, there are many tools, but one of the tools that we're beta testing right now is a predictive analytics tool. And so we are using that with customer data to look at all of these conversations to help predict you know, based on these factors, this will happen. Based on these factors, you might have a crisis coming up soon around product <laughs> X. Or right. based on these factors, you might have a run or an uptick in sales on product Y, right? So I think um, these artificial intelligence predictive modeling tools are just going to be a boon for business. And then selfishly, uh, we are building our own proprietary piece of AI software. Hopefully, it'll be released next year. You know, I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm in it in the thick of it right now but ultimately what we are trying to do is understand the words and phrases that lead to more of those acquisition conversations on social so that we can take our clients data and not only help them sell more through our social selling program and our team through social care but also so that they can update their sales and marketing messages so the the essentially the tool will say something like when you use this promo or when you use this phrase you're 80 percent more likely to close the deal. So I'm really excited uh, about that. That's cool. One of the things I really love about AI is being able to take all this data and then like easily break it down, like combining things together, like taking, you know, like if you had, like you were saying, Brooke, if you had stuff like, we keep getting these comments, help us find the root cause or why they're all similar or how they're all different or what buckets they go in. That's the power of being able to do that and do it super quickly. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's mind blowing the stuff we're going to be able to do. So yeah, in the past, but, Oh, sorry. I was gonna say in the past, you know, like social listening, it bring the AI brings the information to you, mm -hmm. but you are responsible. The human is responsible for, you know, understanding what that means. Now with some of these generative AI tools and through having conversations with the tool about the data, they start to make those predictions for you. And, and they're much more smarter and faster than we are. I mean, yeah. that's the truth. I've been talking uh, about building a second brain. That's one of the things I'm going to be talking about at this conference. And there's a new AI even right now where you enter all your stuff, enter your socials, all this stuff. And it takes how you speak, what you do, you know, and gives you predictive, like how you want to respond to this person. You could set up your own chat bot. I mean, just it's like for influencers, it's a big deal. So that kind of stuff I think is really, really cool where you can offload some of the stuff that you don't want to think about and have it there when you need it. So very, very cool. So, yeah. Love Connor, that. So, go ahead. It's crazy. It's, but I think, some of it can be scary for some people, yeah. you know? especially <laughs> when it comes to all this data and, and the privacy mm -hmm. of it. I think it's twofold, right? It's, it's when it comes to AI, it's companies getting a little bit nervous about the proprietary information that they have and, and get delivering it to an AI machine of sorts. And then it's also the customers that are coming and, and worrying about their own privacy. Are my yeah. conversations with these chatbots secure? Um, all those things. So when it comes to data privacy, um, Brooke, how do you think brands should approach that and policies, what have you, uh, when it comes to social care, when they're expanding by utilizing all these AI tools? I have a whole chapter on this, uh, on the report, because it's just that important. I think, you know, right now, if you are using your customer's data in an AI tool, 
you're probably in breach of contract because where does your agreement spell out that language, right? So all of us need to go out and start thinking about how we're going to update our agreements and get permission to use clients' data in these tools. That's also why we decided we wanted to build our own tool versus going to a you know a tool that's already out there because it's ours. It, uh-huh. it, it would be held on a private server. It's not open source. All of that data is protected. And so I think, you know, even if you go and scrub emails or phone numbers or last names or something, but you're, it's AI, you're giving it yeah. enough information yeah. that it could, you know, its powers could be used for bad. So A, start thinking about how to update your agreements and listen, have a conversation with chat GPT. Here are my terms and conditions that I have currently in all of my client MSAs or agreements. You know, what am I missing about artificial intelligence? How would you, uh, add clauses or information about AI into this type of agreement? How would you, um, allow the client to, you know, have their piece or their say about what we can and can't do with their data inside of AI. You know, are we going to use open source data ever with your information, even if we scrub it? Mm. There's a lot to think of there, but I think, you know, moving forward after you get your agreements all worked out and figured out, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because I do think, you know, even if we think we're scrubbing it and we think we're being smart about the way we're using it in some of these open source tools. It's AI. It's way smarter than we are. So what you think is scrubbed probably isn't as scrubbed as you think it is. So it's something to think about. I mean, you're either going to have to partner with a, a private non-open source tool and, and be that's another thing. Go ask your tool. So you've been seeing all of these tools like, oh, now we've released this AI thing in our tool, right? Do you know if that tool that you are putting your company or your client data into and that part of their AI is open sourced or not? Go ask all of the tools that you use who are now using AI as a part of that tool, how that data is shared, where it's shared, how long do they store it? All those things, they should be updating their agreements with you. And then moving forward, again, think about if you're going to build some sort of program on AI, do you want to do it through open source or do you want to, you know, house it somewhere private, depending on what those first two steps tell you? Uh, so if you ask that question to your your AI chatbot that you're using and it says, all be back, and that's when you like run away really quickly, you know, because Skynet is yeah. here and we just need to be careful. So, I mean, yeah, you know. it's, it's evil, I, I, but it's not evil, right? I right. think what's going to, this is where all those movies call AI evil because really what the AI finds out is that we're evil. We're the ones <laughs> ruining the, we're the ones ruining the planet. And then, yeah, it's going to take us out because we're bad. Yeah. And marketers <laughs> have such a great track record. We always keep oh, things nice. we're the and, first to go. Yes, we, we're the, <laughs> sell our soul um so this has been really super interesting and i I, you know i never thought about that but you know because there are like notion and all these other places are adding ai into their their Mm -hmm. um their workflows i know a lot of even social media management tools are starting to use ai and that's a great question that you need to ask the owners it's like are they just plugging in chat gpt because it's really easy to do it's really easy to use their API and plug it into your your software. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something you want to do if you're having project management? If you're running stuff for clients in there? If you're you have your all your CM you know CM set, uh, settings in there? Just I mean like golly, that's just never thought about it. But yeah, we need to start thinking about that. Brooke, yeah. once again, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, but I want you to to wrap us all up. You know, to tell us what you're working on this this uh, AI thing that you're you're going to have maybe next year sounds really, really cool for your clients. Tell us where people can find out about you and your survey and all the stuff that's going on. Yeah. So I'm Brooke Sellis. You can Google Brooke Sellis. I think I'm the only Brooke Sellis on the planet. Or you know what? Like high five to you if you find the other one because I haven't found her yet. Um, my company is B Squared Media and it's a not com. So it's just B Squared dot media. And yeah, if you follow me on LinkedIn or connect with me, or if you, uh, you know, follow B squared, we will be releasing the state of social report. It's really the state of social care, um, 2023 report, hopefully by the end of next month or towards the end of October, um, as we get ready to kind of take some of this survey data. So please go take the survey if you're in marketing. Um, and we can incorporate that into 
the report. I'm actually using that predictive modeling tool for the report. So I'll put that disclaimer in there and tell everybody about the tool, but excited to see what it, what it says based on the answers that we get. That's very, very cool. Yeah. So go make sure you guys go, if you're listening, bit.ly forward slash state of social report 2023. That has hyphens in between it. Uh, but also get Brooke's book. It's amazing. Uh, it's called uh, Conversations That Connect. You can find it on all the uh, the e-readers. Like I said, I love to use it on uh, to read it and then I can make notes inside of Kindle. But you can buy a hard copy. You can find that on Amazon, on Brooks' website, uh, wherever books are sold. But make sure you guys go check that out because it is a really, it gets you thinking. It makes you think about how you can do social care better. And it's going to be more and more important uh, in the future. Um, as always, we thank our friends for watching. Uh, Jim Fuse, Chris Stone, Jim Alt. They said there's some issues maybe with YouTube. We'll check that out. Um, but all of Dustin Stout, who is the AI guy, uh, he goes, did someone say AI? Um, yes, his <laughs> tool, Magi, is amazing. Gary Stockton so stopped in for a while. We appreciate you guys for doing that. Connor Brown, where can people find out more about the unsinkable Connor Brown? You can find out more by going to www.opinion.com or following me across the socials at www.opinion. I can help you plan your next Disney trip wherever. And if you ever just want to talk about social media, marketing, shoot me a DM. I always love chatting. Yeah. Connor is amazing. He's not only a Disney guy, but he also is a really smart marketer. So I'm looking forward to seeing him next week. We will be uh, gone. Oh, yeah. We're pre-recording. I'm doing actually a special with Connor that will release the same time next week. But we will be speaking at Momentum, both Connor and I. Uh, so we're going to have that rough job of hanging out in sunny Florida and uh, seeing the parks and riding some uh, Cosmic Rewind. So uh, appreciate you guys for watching. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Brooke, for being here. This has been amazing. Thank you to our sponsor, Ecamm. And with that, we'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Social Media News Live.